Good morning. Good to see everyone here this morning, and certainly, as always, what a wonderful day to meet on this first day of the week and, and worship our God and give Him honor and praise and glory that He is due. For the past uh, several months, I've been presenting lessons dealing with relationships and friendships and the design that God has put in place for us with those relationships and his desire that we not be alone and we have relationships and we've um, talked a lot about that and I'm going to continue on along that thought today as well and, and this this could be the final lesson on this it, it may or may not be the more I study the subject the more I'm just uh, enlightened with God's word and, and his infinite wisdom on relationships and, and why they're so important and why he wants us to have them and uh, his purpose for us having them and um, certainly it just reminds me that God always knows what's best and we we think sometimes we know and we know what the proverb says about the man who thinks he knows the way uh, and where that leads we need to trust in God and and what he has to say and, and his reasoning and his purposes for us to have relationships and, and why we need them and should have them. Uh, but the reason I think this might be the, the final lesson is I, I think today's lesson is really what kind of the end game of relationships is all about. It it's really takes us to the ultimate goal. And specifically, that's going to be about uh, as having these relationships, um, how we can help and encourage each other. You know, our ultimate goal, of course, is, is to get to heaven. As we talked about in class this morning, that means that I'm going to invest and I'm going to be committed to God's word. And we know we can do that on our own. And there's certainly, um, you know, a responsibility of us to do that on our own. Uh, and I need to be committed. I need to be invested. I need to study God's word. If I want to go to heaven, I need to know what it is that God wants of me to get to heaven. And I need to know what he's going to tell me and warn me that I have to avoid so that I don't miss out on heaven. But one of those things that he gives us is our relationships with our brethren, is the local church, is, you know, uh, these relationships that can help us in deepening our understanding of God and his word, that can sharpen us, as the Proverbs say, that can help us remain faithful in our walk and our service, that can admonish us and correct us when we need that to happen. And so those relationships are extremely powerful and beneficial um, if those relationships are what they need to be and they are as God designed them to be. We also know that we have relationships outside of this building, our neighbors, our co-workers. And, and so what, where does it fall in there? Well, that's what we call evangelism. And that is uh, us teaching those who are lost, teaching those uh, and sharing with those this amazing salvation. We talked a little bit about this in class this morning as we were talking about the resurrection of Christ and just how powerful that is and what that means for me. That means victory. Victory over sin. Victory over Satan. Victory over death. Eternity in heaven. And what an amazing blessing we all enjoy. And why would we not be filled with emotion 
and joy and want to share this with those that we come in contact with. Well, that, I believe, is one of the key reasons God encourages relationships and encourages us not to be on our own and be alone and isolate ourselves with God's word, but to be out, to be a light, to be the salt of the earth. This is our task. This is why we build good relationships, even with those of the world. This is why we care about them and we're concerned about them and we we will engage in all sorts of good works and acts of kindness and love and service because we want to demonstrate to them just, just a small, little, minute sampling of what Jesus did for us. And if they can see the love and the care that we have for them and how much we want for them to be saved, what a greater chance that they are going to want to hear the gospel message. And so I think there's a responsibility on our part to build these relationships with our neighbors and our workers, and those people that, that we see quite often. And I'm not saying that we don't evangelize to everyone and we can't evangelize to you know, your waitress that you see once and you never see again. We can evangelize and, and should evangelize to everyone. But how much stronger is my efforts in evangelism and teaching the gospel going to be if it's to someone who I've demonstrated compassion and care and love and I've done a good service and a good deed and they're wondering, why would you do this for me? And you can talk and transition into the gospel message and say, well, I, I only do these things because Jesus and what Jesus did for me and the great love and compassion he showed me. And it's an opportunity then for us to teach a lost soul and show them the light and give them an opportunity uh, to have salvation. In our last lesson on relationships, we focused in on Jesus in that lesson as well, and specifically Jesus washing the feet of his disciples. A lowly and dirty and, and, and very humbling job, and he did this to all of his disciples, including Judas, the man that would betray him and yet he washed his feet as well and you wonder what type of effect that had on Judas we know that that Judas is going to feel some guilt when he sells betrays Jesus but certainly not enough for him to do what was right but he could have and certainly Jesus washing his feet could have been upon his mind and why did he do this if you remember our lesson Jesus says you call me Lord and teacher that's good I am. But now you need to follow the teacher. I do this as an example. Follow the example. Demonstrate love. Demonstrate compassion to each other. Demonstrate service. Wash one another's feet. Strengthen each other. Right? These were the disciples. They were going to be in need of that from one another. And they were certainly going to need to do this out in the world as they're striving to show the example and the life of Jesus to others through their own life and how they lived. So this morning, if you would open up to Matthew chapter 14, we're going to open there and read that text in just a moment, but our focus is, is compassion and being moved with compassion. And this is not the first time that we've used this word compassion, and so I'm going to put these slides up one more time. This is from my very 
first lesson that I started doing about relationships, and we were talking about keys to great relationships. You know, how can I strengthen my relationship? You know, whether it's with a spouse or, or whoever it might be. And we, we referenced 1 Peter 3, 8, and 9. And Peter has been talking about all sorts of relationships. And he concludes it with the saying, Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers. Be tenderhearted. Be courteous. Not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling. But on the contrary, blessing. Knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. And so we looked at all these words and we broke those definitions down in that lesson and we're not going to spend the time to do that but obviously the word that we're focused on today is a word that Peter used and that word is compassion and I do want to remind us of what we said the word compassion meant suffering with or feeling the like with another sympathetic it's this idea that that I see someone and I see their need and I see their hurt and I, I see their struggle. And I'm not just going to see that, but I'm going to feel that. And I'm going to try to understand how that's affecting that person and how they might be feeling and why that might be troubling them and bothering them. Because we said during that lesson, they could be struggling with something that we don't have any problem with. And we could go, why is that such a big deal to you? Why, why is that bothering you? Why are you allowing that to cause you pain and anguish and, and suffering? And that could easily be our attitude. But Peter says, if we want to have a, a right relationship with someone, that's not how we're going to view that. We're going to try and get into to their shoes and see it the way they see it and feel it the way they feel it. And that's going to make us sympathetic for that person. And think about that from a standpoint, and we'll probably say this statement several times throughout this lesson. But think about that from that standpoint, that you have a relationship, someone that maybe you work with and you see every day, maybe a neighbor that you see every day, and they're lost. And you know where their soul is going to go if this life ends or Jesus returns. Are we sympathetic to that? Do we feel the way they should feel if they know that they're lost and they're not going to heaven? I think if we got into their shoes and we felt the way they felt and we tried to understand maybe why they were resistant, it might allow us an ability or an avenue or a way to want to teach. I think it would certainly encourage us to want to teach and share the gospel to them. Maybe it's even physical pains that they're suffering with and you're feeling the compassion there, and it's a transition for you to say, I know you're feeling these physical pains and these sufferings, but, but there's a spiritual salvation. There's a home in heaven where all that will be gone. And, and you can connect, and you can encourage and, and teach. So Peter, again, from our very first lesson, gave us so many things. And I think the word tenderhearted, the word courteous, love, all those things connect that we have this feeling, this concern for others. And again, if you don't think, well, that's just Peter, that's just his opinion, you know, that's a nice idea, but you don't have to do that. Well, this is why today we're going to talk about Jesus. And that Jesus felt these things. And we said that Jesus is these things. That Jesus is the perfect example of all these things. 
And we're, we know we're supposed to, to follow Jesus as our perfect example. He is Lord and teacher. And if we want to be like Jesus, we have to follow his example, his pattern that he left for us. And it's not impossible. We can't be perfect as Christ. But the way Christ lived is a pattern for us to follow. We can be like Christ in many ways. So this morning, if you'll turn, if you haven't already turned there, to Matthew chapter 14. I want to start this morning with a couple of passages that will demonstrate this compassion that Jesus had and illustrate what that means and what that should look like for us and and that we can be moved with compassion and and what that means. And then if we have time, if we don't have time, then I'm going to put this off to another lesson. But if we have time after that, we'll focus a little bit more on specifically evangelism and we'll look at at Jesus' example of, of how he taught and how he evangelized and how we can take some of the simple principles that Jesus demonstrated for us and we can use them in our own life. So if we get to that, great. If, if we run out of time, then we're not going to spend a lot of extra time. We'll, we'll just put that off to the next lesson. So Matthew chapter 14, and starting in verse 13, I'm going to read verses 13 to 21. When Jesus heard it, he departed from there by boat to a deserted place by himself. So let me pause right there for a moment because we're jumping into context here. When Jesus heard it, what did he hear? He just heard about John the Baptist. John the Baptist was beheaded. He, he was killed. We know that there was some sort of you know, physical relation with Jesus and John. As we know, the Bible says Mary and Elizabeth, their mothers, were relatives. We don't know the exact relation, but this is a relative of Jesus. This is someone that, that Jesus went to and had him baptize him. So, so Jesus would have had a, a close relationship, a love, uh, uh, certainly a deep feeling for John the Baptist. And he has just heard that he's been beheaded. And what does he want to do? He, he wants to depart to a deserted place and be by himself. And we know Jesus would often do that. But I think it's important to keep that in the context here, knowing that Jesus is feeling this range of emotions. that He just lost someone he deeply loves and cares for. And he wants to be alone. But that's not going to be possible as these multitudes are coming in. And what does Jesus do? Does he, does he flee from them and say, well, no, I need to be alone? Well, we're going to see what Jesus does, and he doesn't flee from them. Still in verse 13, but when the multitudes heard it, they followed him on foot from the cities. And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. When it was evening, his disciples came to him saying, This is a deserted place and the hour is already late. Send the multitudes away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves food. So his disciples, probably recognizing Jesus' emotional state, they know that John the Baptist has just been beheaded. They know that he wanted to be alone. Yet these multitudes have come upon him. Jesus is been moved. He's healed them. And it's getting late and the disciples are saying, let's send them away. Send them back to the cities. It's late. There's no food here. They're getting hungry. We need to send them away. Look at Jesus' response. Verse 16. But Jesus said to them, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. 
So Jesus doesn't want to send them away. And, and what a great opportunity for Jesus to actually have sent them away and had received that time to be by himself, which he probably wanted. We know Jesus often went by himself and prayed to his father. And, and what greater time would he want to do that than he's just heard about John the Baptist? And so what an opportunity Jesus had to say, okay, you're right, go ahead, send them away. It's, it's not that illogical, you know, it, it seems like it makes sense, and, and now Jesus could be away, but, but he is moved with compassion for them. He cares for them. He's concerned for them. We know that in other gospel accounts of this, he doesn't just heal them, he teaches them. And we know Jesus did that often. That healing the sick was just a way to demonstrate his authority from God and to validate his teaching. And so he was healing, he was teaching them, and now he's saying, no, we're going to feed them. You take care of that. Do not send them away. Verse 17, they said, well, we only have five loaves and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. And he commanded the multitudes to sit down on the grass and he took the five loaves and the two fish. And looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke and gave the loaves to the disciples. And the disciples gave to the multitudes. So they all ate and were filled. And they took up twelve baskets full of the fragments that remained. Now these who had eaten were about five thousand men besides women and children. Over five thousand people, I mean... You know, again, people will try to guesstimate how many that could be besides women and children. But even if it's another 2,500, if, if half of these men have their wives and they have one child, right? Another 2,500 to 3,000, 7,000 to 8,000 people? This is a large multitude that's pressed upon him. And he's healing them, he's teaching them, and he's feeding them. Why? Because he was moved with compassion. The phrase moved with compassion is found about 12 more times in the gospel accounts. About eight of them are connected to Jesus specifically, that he was moved with compassion for someone or a group. There's two others that I think make the point that we're trying to make. And we won't read the entire accounts, we'll just reference them. But one of them was Luke chapter 10 verse 33 in the Good Samaritan. And as that good Samaritan saw that man on the side of the road, he was moved with compassion. He felt for this man. He saw this man's need. He saw his suffering. But did he just keep going on? No. The the point about being moved is that it leads to an action. My compassion and my care and my love is so deep that it causes me to an action. Now, the phrase moved to compassion, moved with compassion, means moved in your bowels. The deepest inner parts, your gut. And and many believe that the bowels were the seat of love and pity. So this is the the deepest feeling and and sorrow and pity that you could feel for someone. And it, it demands a response. It demands action. You're not, this type of compassion is not just a looking at a person and feeling a little bit sorry for them and then moving on. This is, this is doing something for that person. 
This is caring for that person. And that's what the good Samaritan did as well. The other account that's not connected to Jesus is Luke 15. And the father and the return of the prodigal son. And you recall this story as he sees his son afar off. It says he was moved with compassion. And and you remember what he does. He goes and he embraces him. And he calls his servants. He says, bring a robe and bring sandals and, and kill the fatted calf. There was an action. There was a response. And so that's what this looks like. This type of compassion that Peter talked about, that we're supposed to have, if we want to have the proper relationships with other people, if we want to be able to encourage and lift each other as brethren and strengthen each other, if we want to teach the gospel message to the lost, we have to have this type of compassion and this type of care. And it's going to move us. And when we see a soul that is lost... It's going to cause us to care for that person, to serve them, to build that relationship. And maybe it takes some time to build that relationship. Maybe I do need to get to know that person. Maybe I do need to do some some good acts of service and demonstrate some love to that person. But eventually that's going to cause me to want to talk to them about the gospel. Because I care about them and I'm concerned about their soul. So our first point is that we have to be moved with compassion. A compassion that's going to cause a response, an action by us. Our second point, if you want to turn to Matthew chapter 18. The second point is that we can't expect to get compassion from God. And I think this is something we would all want. If we were to ask the question, and, and I asked ask you to raise your hand, would you, would you want God to demonstrate compassion? Would you want God to have compassion on you? I think every hand would go up. And the context of Matthew 18, it's specifically about being forgiven. You want God to forgive you? Do you want God to have the compassion He needs to forgive you? You don't think it takes compassion to forgive us? We're lowly sinners. We don't deserve God's compassion, His mercy, and His love. Yet He has that compassion for us. But what this text tells us is if we don't show other people that same compassion, then God's not going to have that compassion with us. So Matthew chapter 18, and I'm going to start in verse 21, and we'll be reading through verse 35. Verse 21 to start, Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brothers sin against me, and I forgive him. Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to seventy times seven. So here's Peter. The whole context, there's a lot of things going on. The offended brother is is mentioned before this, and and how to deal with that. And well, Peter just wants to know, well, okay, well, how how many times though? You know, I mean, if, if my brother continues to to sin against me, I mean, how many times do I forgive him? Seven times seems like a lot. How about that? Seven times? Jesus says, no, not seven times. Seventy times seven. And, you know, if you're writing in your notes right now to do the math and figure out how many times that is, so you'll know when to cut the next person off, it's obviously not about that, right? Jesus is making the point that you always forgive. You will will continue to forgive this person 
as many times as they come to you. And then Jesus goes into this, this story to help illustrate this, starting in verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle the accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded he be sold. Let me stop there for just a moment. So this man owes 10,000 talents. That's a great deal, right? And he is, he is not able to pay. So we know that this is, you know, this is a, Jesus is making a point here, that, that the kingdom is like this. So, so who does this man represent? This man represents us. Not a single one of us can pay our debt that we owe to God. Not any of us are worthy before God. And what God should say is what the, the king is about to say to this man. Master, command uh, this master command that he be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had and the payment be made. That's what should happen to us. But look what the man does. Verse 26. The servant fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Verse 27. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. That's God. God has that type of compassion. When we fall before him and we humble ourselves and we're, we're pleading for forgiveness and we know we have, we have no way to repay, God says, Due to my compassion, I'm forgiving you. And you can go free. But what does the servant do? Verse 28. But then that same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Not quite the same as the 10,000 talents, right? And he laid hands on him and he took him by the throat, saying, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? And he would not. But he went, and he threw him into prison, till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved, and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master after that called him and said, You wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you begged me. Should you also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. Verse 35, So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Compassion. We must have compassion on one another. Maybe it's a, a fellow brother who has sinned against us. We have to have compassion. We have to, to try and understand what they're going through, what they're feeling, why they might have done that, and we have to forgive them. How many times? As many times as they want to be forgiven. And if we do that, then God will show compassion on us. He will forgive us. And that's certainly what we want.
The third point is that we need to be on a mission of compassion for the lost. Certainly, our compassion is connected here in these relationships with our brethren. We've made that point. That as, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we're going to have compassion for one another and care for one another. And that's going to lead us to even forgiving one another when we sin against each other. But part of relationships and building relationships is so that we can teach the lost. That's, that's really what we're here for. This is why we're here. And, and this goes really well, actually, with the, the last couple lessons. Shane did a lesson recently about life-saving stations, and he, he referenced his soul-saving stations. And Chris recently took us through the study of Thess- uh, Thessalonians, First Thessalonians, and he made the point of, of the wickedness and the idolatry there. And yet they could still evangelize. And people still heard the message. And, and they still responded to the message. So we got to put all the excuses out, throw them all out, because there is no excuse for us not to evangelize. There is no excuse for us not to be a bright, shining light in this world. And I really think it needs to be a mission of ours. It should be a, a, the, the end focus of, of what we're trying to accomplish. And as we strive to help others get to heaven, is that not going to help us get to heaven? As we share the gospel, as we're focused on his word, and we're committed, and we're invested in his word, and we're studying it, and it's on our mind, and it's on our heart, and we're sharing that out with everyone, is that not going to make us stronger? Absolutely. And Jesus was concerned about that. And Jesus is our Lord, and our teacher, and our master, and our ultimate example. So if Jesus was concerned about the lost, and that was his focus then certainly that should be our focus as well. We have a, a phrase in my basketball program with my players, and we came up with this. didn't come up with it. We took it a few years ago. And so we'll often say, make mission. And make mission was something that we, we read from a book, and I, I have my guys read these books occasionally, and, and one of the books was talking about military, and, and the military uh, group would phrase it, make mission. And that's, that's the two words that they would say. That's it. Make mission. And what that means to them is that they have a mission. And, and you sell out to that mission. You might die, but you, you give yourself completely to the mission and the success of that mission. And so that's all they would say to one another. And when they said that to each other, they knew exactly what that meant. And they knew what that meant as far as my relationship with my fellow soldiers. And I'm willing to die for you and you're willing to die for me to make sure this mission gets completed. Now, as a basketball team, we've taken it to a much more simplistic version. But when our guys say that or I say that, they know what that means. They know what our mission is and and what our goals are and things like that. And, And they know what that focus and what that commitment means. As Christians... We've got to be on a mission of compassion for the lost. We've got to view people in the world for what they are. They are lost souls going to hell. Do you feel some compassion for them? I, I sure hope we feel that compassion for the people that we're close to, the neighbors, the co-workers, 
I think sometimes we don't. Or we at least lose sight of it. And we don't have that compassion that we need. And we don't always then stay on track of what our mission is. Which is to teach them. To be an example. And yes, the way we live and, and, the, and the way we act, our example is a part of that. But at some point, we've got we to gotta tell them the gospel message. We've got to explain it to them and be clear about their condition. And that's, that's our mission. And that, and that, was, that was Jesus' mission. And so if you'll turn to, to Luke chapter 15, and verses 1 to 7, and we can see that this was a mission of Jesus, and we can see how serious this mission was. Luke 15, and starting in verse 1. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he spoke this parable to them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine just persons who need no repentance. This is where the joy is. This is where we rejoice. And I think you could look at this parable in two different ways. You have a hundred sheep, or the hundred sheep representing Christians, and the one is a fallen away Christian. I think that's possible. Is the one just someone in the world who's lost? I think that's possible. Regardless of each situation, they're both lost. Their soul is in jeopardy. And and Jesus is, is... giving them something they understand. If you were a shepherd and you had 100 sheep and you lost one, would you not leave the 99 and go get that one? Isn't that one lost more important than the 99 that are already safe? They're safe. They're good. They're secure. But that one is lost. He needs me. He needs me to go out and search for him. He needs me to find him. And boy, when I find him, I'm going to rejoice. And I'm going to put him on my shoulders. And when I get back, I'm going to tell all my friends that we have found the one that was missing. The one sheep is now home. And that is the sinner who is lost. And think about heaven. Think about the angels in heaven rejoicing. When we can find one person in the world who's willing to listen to the gospel message and to come here and to be baptized for the remission of sins. We certainly rejoice. But the angels in heaven are rejoicing greater than those who sit right here and don't need repentance. Why? Because that's our mission. That is our task at hand. I'm going to go ahead and stop here this morning. When I preach next... I will be preaching from John chapter 4 if you're interested and you'd like to take a look at that, that chapter. And, and we're very familiar with it. It's, it's Jesus teaching the Samaritan woman. But what I'd like to do specifically in that lesson 
is learn from some of the examples that, that Jesus gives us as how he taught, how he evangelized, and, and how we could take some of those things and apply them and, and try to come up with some real ways, some comfortable ways, which we can all do our part. Because that's, that's what we have to be about here in Ontario. We have a local community, but a lot of us don't live in this community. And we have a community where we live. We have neighborhoods and we have workplaces and we have schools. Are we focused on a mission of compassion? Do we see people for what they are and that they're lost? Do we care? Are we concerned? You know, someone at one point felt that way about all of us. And thanks be to God for that. That someone reached out to us because they had compassion for us. And because of that person, we're here today as Christians. And we can do the same for another. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, then that's the first step that you have to take. You have to make sure you're right with God. You have to be baptized for the remission of your sins. You have to find a local church and place membership and, and begin to be a part of that work. And of course, part of that work is going to be evangelizing and being a light an example, and uh, sending that gospel message out to those who are lost. If you're here this morning, you're not a Christian, and you'd like to become one, or if you're here this morning and you just need the prayers of the congregation to help you and to strengthen you in your walk, whatever way we can help you before your, in your walk before God, please come forward now as we stand and sing.